I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So if you're a creative, let's just coming back to that. And if you fully have a vision and has no commercial dimension to it whatsoever, and you become in service of manifesting that, whatever, Michelangelo, you know, um, is there any such thing as pure creativity that is not based on having some extension into uh, livelihood dimension and therefore other people and therefore dealing with other people in a compassionate bodhisattva-like way. That's kind of the summary of, and I don't even want to answer that. I mean, I just want to throw it out there for like-minded people to contemplate, chew on. And um, this would be a good discussion to have, you know, in, in a workshop or something. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. All of us here at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be, and we are happy that you are joining us. My name is Michael Cammers, and today I'm in the Podkick chair, as well as the Monologist chair, for we have another episode of David's View in store for you in mere moments. In this episode, David and I are spontaneously discussing creativity and compassion, two subjects very close to our hearts and life paths. I generally keep the introductory remarks brief on our David's View episodes, and today will be no exception. However, our global online mindfulness platform, Dharma Moon, has some events lined up in the near future we would like to share with you. We have two upcoming info sessions for our world-class 100-hour mindfulness meditation teacher training coming up soon, and they both have very special guests. On Wednesday, August 31st, we have Duncan Trussell with us. Duncan is a comedian, podcast host, and creator of the acclaimed Netflix animated show The Midnight Gospel. 
And on Wednesday, September 14th, we have Professor Robert Thurman, Buddhist scholar, author, and co-founder of Tibet House U.S., the cultural center of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Both of these are on the Zoom platform, and if you cannot attend in person, you can watch the video. If you do attend in person, however, you'll have an opportunity to be in discussion with Duncan, Robert, and David, which is pretty cool, at the uh, Q&A session at the end of these programs. So if you are interested, please head over to dharmamoon.com to register. And on a quick personal note, I'm a graduate of this program who's now an assistant director, and in my personal experience, whether or not you want to become a teacher, it is a great way to deepen your practice and understanding of mindfulness. And it is a transformative experience in the safe and brave container of mindful community and skilled mentorship. And if you don't want to do the full training, you can just take the first weekend, which is a tour of Buddha land with David. These podcasts are evergreen. So if you're listening at a future date, please head over to www.dharmamoon.com and see what we are up to as we are always running programs that build community from a foundation of the study and practice of mindfulness and Buddha Dharma. Dharma Moon. Visualize. Manifest. Connect. You know, before I started meditating, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts on Be Here Now about people talking about their meditative experiences. And if you're one of those people, join us. And we'll all learn how to meditate together for the benefit of all sentient beings. Okay. That's all the stuff for this episode. If you like what you hear, please head over to www.beherenownetwork.com slash David and hear all of our CSM content. So that's it for the intro of this episode. And since I put all the plugs up front, there will be no outro monologue. So now it is our privilege and pleasure to present to you creativity and compassion. So you mentioned rousing the energy And of course, in one analogy, the life force is coiled at the base of the spine like a serpent, you know. And Kundalini, and you raise that up, uh, and then it emerges. You can see pictures of Buddha with the, the big hood of the serpent over his head protecting him. Um, it's not a direct reference to Kundalini in that context. Um, and in our Buddhist tradition, we don't, mess with kundalini per se in terms of trying to manipulate it superficially and you know for its own sake there's there's energy practices but they're not particularly um public and they're also not particularly for ego aggrandizement situations so um our topic uh again was triggered by our spontaneous communication between in the bardo between podcasts we take 10 minutes between recording another one. And you mentioned, what about creativity? Because it is creativity, spirituality, and making a buck podcast. And um, based on the book of the same name out on Wisdom Publication. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, um, you know, and if you want the big picture on any of these, on any of these things we're talking about, it could be, it could be an interesting read or listen for you. However, in this bite-sized tea bag, size um, exposition of creativity, we came across the idea, we were talking about being a band leader, which both of us have been, about the idea of uh, either, either as a band leader or an entrepreneur, head of a company, whatever. Sometimes you need to fire people 
which is so you know sort of such an interesting thing to contemplate that that's part of running something is telling somebody that they're not going to be part of it anymore. Um, we have the Donald Trump model where he rev- relished firing people. That's kind of intriguing, uh, holding the fort on one side. And then there's the other side extreme where we can't do it. And something needs to be moved along and cut. And we just are, are too afraid or too um, considerate to, we think, maybe concerned about that person's welfare. And so we don't do it. This is a big study if you're, you know, if you're the, in the position where you, like as you are as a band leader, you hire and fire. When you hire somebody, you're giving them a leg up into a situation. It's a very positive, you're making a connection, you're endorsing them, you're giving them a really um, positive, you know, moment. And when you fire them, many people feel very depleted. It's a real art form and you, you know, uh, they could doubt their own self-worth and also you're affecting their livelihood you're affecting the family livelihood so if you have a creative vision i I think we're going to limit it to creativity let's say you're making a record or you're doing like you do leading a big band and you're also a buddhist practitioner so we're mixing creativity spirituality and livelihood in this conversation how do you make a decision about caring properly for let's just be real specific, your band members who are human beings, first of all, and people you care about, and the professional obligations and the creative invective to get that work up to its highest possible level. So let's start there. Yeah, I think the work up to the highest possible level for a long time, I um, prioritize that over individual or collective well-being. Right, so I was too far on one side, and then you you had it prioritized. Yeah, when I first started, it was just that was all. It didn't matter. It says we got to do this thing, awesome, and like, you know, that was like when I was in my twenties, and just the context of the band was magnetizing enough that people would want to do it, and 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 I could just you know be a brash twenty something uh, who didn't have those considerations as much, and then it moved into the place where. Like uh, more in our 30s, when I was in my or late 20s, early 30s, livelihood became an issue, right? And then I was so concerned about just keeping people that like I would just go into idiot compassion just to do anything to keep it together. Okay, Mike, explain idiot compassion to the people out there. Good, right? So And, and where it came from and so forth. So that's a term that uh, Trungpa Rinpoche coined. And... Um, it's when you're not actually acting compassionately, which implies um, like reduction of suffering or some kind of skillful means. And we get sort of caught in our own discomfort and, um, you know, or cowardice even, or perceived sense of lack in oneself where we're not serving or, or benefiting the situation by taking the easy way out and doing something that might be perceived as compassionate, like keeping somebody in the band longer than they should when they're not performing up to their level or they have addiction issues or whatever it may be. Um, And you're actually sort of compounding individual or collective suffering in the way that you're acting because you're not clearly seeing what the most skillful action is in the situation. Does that sound? Yeah. I mean, and, if to make it simple, uh, 
it's using compassion to preserve a comfort zone mm. rather than to create clarity and benefit, um, a genuine benefit in the situation. So um, it becomes dull. And in contrast, there's a kind of considered to be a sharp, even wrathful, even ruthless aspect of compassion, which is portrayed in certain deities. Um, in, in some sense, Manjushri here has some element of that. It's cutting through confusion and getting to um, a, a very clear place about what is happening, what's not happening, which should ultimately be for everybody's benefit because it's not generated by aggression or the need to dominate or control. Um, so this is very tricky if you're, um, for example, I'm going to give you an example from my life. I have run several Dharma centers in my life. I've, I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a, 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 a you know, a music um, producer. In, in, in the Dharma world, and I'm going to go on record as saying this, we simply do not turn anyone away from the Dharma world. Now, that doesn't mean we just let people crawl all over it and, you know, just go, oh, I don't have any money, I can't pay for this, or, you know, and just develop, you know, self-aggrandizing sloppy habits in relation to actually learning. But the, um, the way Rinpoche used to say it is, we don't give up on anyone. Hmm. Now, that is so challenging. That's a bodhisattva perspective. Bodhisattva does not discriminate who's doing being a good person and you know it's not santa claus everybody gets a gift under the christmas tree of the bodhisattva you know so um that is such a deep perspective i personally have taken this vow so i have to live by this perspective i don't live up to it every day of course but that anybody who appears in my purview just magically synchronously by accident on purpose that there's an intention at least to serve them, to serve their best interest, to connect, to, to not withdraw. There are so many Mahayana practices that teach us how not to withdraw from even challenging encounters like having to fire somebody, for example. So, but as a creative, and like you said, there's a kind of perfectionism. You know what this is supposed to sound like. You know what this is supposed to feel like. And you go, this in service of this project, not just my getting accolades for it, in service of the art itself, the creative process itself, if it's collaborative, if it's dance, if it's music, is this person cutting it? You know, if, if, you, if you were the god of, or goddess of creation and you looked and said, yeah, this is what I had in mind for Beethoven's Fifth Symphony here. And, um, you know, the fourth a double bass player cannot play the line uh, or is consistently late for rehearsal or uh, has a kind of intonation problems or a sour attitude working with the rest of the orchestra. At what point do you say, I love you? Uh, I serve you. I pray for you. I will do anything for you, but you're fired. <laughs> there you go. I just, one, Bodhisattva Christmas. That's a whole episode. <laughs> because if it was compassionate, when you open that gift, it might not be what you want at all. 
Oh, yeah. right. So that's a different discussion. But oh, oh, body sat for Christmas. Body for Christmas. <laughs> um, I'm just Maharaji. Kick him out of the temple. Don't kick him out of your heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's there's an art to that. But so now we're talking about you know. So I navigated my creative project into an institution, and then that was when things really shifted in my leadership when I had to develop these skills to say, I'm sorry, we need to have a discussion um, because there's a professional threshold here. That oh, professional threshold. needs to be met, right? So once oh. this professional threshold is met, we can play as much as we want, right? Because right? that's in the music. Because you're talking about creativity, you're talking about music, these things transcend our small systems, right? But we are mm. working with them within systems, right? So mm. this professional threshold needs to be met. So the entire, our microsystem of this band can continue to thrive in well-being, community, livelihood, and creativity within this system that we're in. Right. So at this point, that's not happening. So we need to have a discussion about it. And it's not personal. Um, it's just framed in this manner uh, I, I know my um, heart uh, my grandmother's heart I mean me as grandmother not my actual <laughs> grandmother and, and you know I, I I mentioned in you know in um, Awakening from the Daydream that there's something called grandma's wisdom in, in Buddhism which is just you know how your grandmother loves you it's just like um, when they say good things skip a generation, that's quite literal. You know, many people have described a relationship with a grandma or grandpa that is so um, tender and supportive and nurturing. That part of my being really struggles with what you just said. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I even can take on our voice, you know, it's all going to be okay. You just... You just have to you just have to learn the music a little bit better and then you come back Thursday. It'll be okay. You know, and to give the kind of if there's a version of the bodhicitta that's like steel, I guess it's Manjusri's sword. It's right here, it's why I have it. Like I, I want him to cut me if I'm messing up, you know. It's like mm. you 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 wanna get that sharp, that precise in order to really um serve, but Here's the thing, Mike, the, the muse. Let's say there is some kind of, because we don't know where these creative things come from. I never met anybody who really knows. The muse is the closest thing that somebody said. And I, I heard a talk that Neil Young gave about the muse many years ago at South by Southwest. And he said, look, when the muse calls, I got to get out my catcher's mitt. And almost at the level of like, you know, somebody else can pick up my kids at school if that's happening. It's, it can be in creative people that's famous. <clears throat> they can sometimes be very not good people. Um, now, you, your ideal is, okay, this person's a great artist, like Yo-Yo Ma comes to mind. It's, I don't know him, but it's so obvious that he's a great person and benevolent, but also professional threshold through the roof. So we like to think it is possible, but we know people who are hitting a really high level of, art representation and either they themselves have some serious personal defects you know 
which are bypassed. Um, you know, everybody around them lets them get away with it. Or they're literally a terror working for or with. And I've worked with, I wondered at times whether being a nice or a good person is uh, not consistent or coherent with being very demanding artist and where where those two lines cross so we're sharing that uh, I, I hope there's people out there who can share this particular dilemma of if you want to be a bodhisattva and a great artist what you know which which comes first <laughs> well I, it gets a little slippery here because a bodhisattva's wisdom transcends the culture um the cultural container that it's in um so like even what it, what we're talking about in running a company or being within a system. And so we're merging our creativity within systems and also that involve livelihood, right? So mm. how are you defining success? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, that's a chapter in the book. <laughs> how do you define success? It's shifted over the years. Are, can we um, sort of place it within creativity? Yeah. So, so yeah. creative success. On one level, I believe creativity is like a river. It's always flowing. And just being in the awareness of that flow right now, right? And when we're in that awareness of that flow, it seems like it's a little more compassionate than being like oh, white water rapids rushing through things, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have obstacles and we need to find ways to move through them, right? But mm -hmm. even, even slow moving water goes through a mountain after time, but I'm not clearly articulating success. So creative as somebody who has chosen, which is an important point in your book, if you're choosing to make a livelihood. However, even slow moving water moves through a mountain in time. Go ahead. So I'm someone who's chosen to make a living with my creativity. Right. So, and that's been a journey. So it includes well-being. If I am successfully creating something that aesthetically reaches a vision, but I cannot sustain my own well-being or the well-being of my community, that's no longer success. So channeling that creativity in a way that involves individual and collective well-being, to me, that is success now. Wow. And what about making money? That's a part of well-being in this system. Yeah. So. Okay. That's where, the, that's where you get the money part in, the business part in. To have well-being, you need to have some money. You yeah, can, even like in the Lojong slogans, like there's teachings about how to be a practitioner. You need, yeah. as a lay person, you need a, a right livelihood, right? So these, all these things circle back on each other. So throw this into the pile. I have a student who's um, a musician in Denmark. And one of the great things about the world, you have students all over the world and co conversations going on with different cultures. He, he's a, a composer, kind of avant-garde composer and bass player. And in that country, all he has to do is say, apply for a grant and 
it's it's not like a competitive, you know, that's fine. You you want to be a bass player. The, the state is all up for that. And he doesn't really have to have a hit record or, <laughs> you know, the MK Orchestra would be, you know, just um, playing down the street in Copenhagen. And, uh, you know, if you didn't have enough money to pay everybody, government considers it worthwhile. So as I'm sitting there talking to him, I'm going like, man, that is such a different reality than I have had to deal with. So the idea is that, and I think also there's comes to mind storing up nuts for winter if you're a creative person. You might have one that does really good and makes a lot of money or gets a lot of recognition and one that you liked every bit as much. It's like kids, goes out there and can't get arrested or um, you didn't put, have the time and energy to put into it. So you tend to go for the hits, you know, for the big moments uh, because they're going to sustain the non-hits and the lower moments of, of interaction. But so there's um, two qualities to being creative. You said you're doing it for your livelihood. One is you have to get up every day and reinvent yourself. Right. There is no template that you're fitting into unless you're like, you know, the TV shows used to have like orchestras on them. And like if you were in the um, the Johnny Carson band or if you're in the David Letterman band, you just show up there or the Saturday Night Live band. And that's your livelihood. You don't really have to be every day thinking, how do I get a gig? How do I create something? Um, but if you're creating something and that is going to be. The meal the thing that is generating the activity and the, and the return, how is it possible not to bias it towards some kind of temporal success? Like if you're writing songs, how is it possible not to go, I hope one of these is a hit, for example, or as it gets into a movie score or, you know, other than that, well, that's beautiful. That's just exactly what I meant. It's six people have heard it and they all loved it. And three of them are my family. You know, how do you how do you um, uh, follow through with the creative exert energy that you put into it? Um, a tapping into some kind of livelihood portal, and B tapping into some feeling that you've been heard, you've been seen, you've been acknowledged for what you're doing in the world. I, I rest my face. I have been studying like embodied rhythm with a. Uh phenomenal drummer and teacher Amir Zeev and he was relating to me and Amir I love you I didn't ask for permission to share this story so I'll check in with you but Amir recorded with Ornette Coleman towards the end of Ornette's life now Ornette's uncompromising so that is someone who like didn't even make the decision he changed music he got. He grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. He would get beat up for the way that he played. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's an apocryphal story. And then you're also, this is like an effeminate speaking African-American man in Texas at that time. So there's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the salient point here was in that relationship that Amir had when they were recording or creating right in that crucible that you're talking about, Ornette said, the idea has no destiny. Wow. Uh, and Ornette was very successful. He was. He achieved a certain level of temporal success, recognition, money, all of it, no? Absolutely. He wore beautiful silk suits when wow. he performed. Wow. The idea has no destiny because... 
if you think about it, when you're creating, right, if like a good idea or what we think is a good idea arises or that juicy moment of becoming, we don't know where it's coming from. It just moves through us. How long between that moment and in your head, like, I'm going to make a record, I'm going to do a tour, whatever, all these other things come up. And they're like, those are like thieves in that moment of creativity because they're, Mm. they're keeping you from just being with what's arising. Well, and this brings, um, you know, Trungpa Rinpoche back into the conversation because he was interested in this in this aspect and saying that you should just merge with the creative process and not worry about this other stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting when you think about it, was he a writer? Well, not really. Those books of his that are out there were transcribed by students and edited and, and, and published. and They've sold millions of copies. Of course, he's been dead for 35 years, so you know uh, it didn't benefit him particularly. But selling millions of books by any person's attribution is a successful right career as a writer of whatever. And um, yeah, so how much, to what extent, when somebody's, and I, I think we know this as. You and I are both artists slash entrepreneurs. We end up being the band leader, we're the orchestrator, the conduct, whatever, you know, we're the producer. We're, we're ending up in the business end of the thing. And we've also worked with artists who just wouldn't even know which side of the bed to get up on, um, but, but, are, but are like genius level creatives. So the question is, is there, uh, you have to follow your own bent. And I recently, Mike, you know, for creativity, spirituality, and making a buck, I thought of maybe I'm gonna, maybe I bit off more than we could chew in that book, in that title, even though it's intriguing possibility. And I, I thought of the next version of the book when they publish it is going to be creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Pick two. And just go, okay, that's, you can't have it all. And, you know, it's arguable whether you can. So if you're a creative, let's just coming back to that. And if you fully have a vision, and has no commercial dimension to it whatsoever. And you become in service of manifesting that. Whatever, Michelangelo, you know. Um, is there any such thing as pure creativity that is not based on having some extension into uh, livelihood dimension and therefore other people and therefore dealing with other people in a compassionate bodhisattva-like way? That's kind of the summary of and I don't even want to answer that. I mean, I just want to throw it out there for like-minded people to contemplate, chew on. And um, this would be a good discussion to have, you know, in a, in a workshop or something. Well, we invite everybody into the conversation, right? Gosh, so- I wonder if there's a way to do David's view that would be have other people coming in, like in a, a group, you know, and people could at the end chime in. That might be interesting. Actually, just have it be a little webinar you kind of open... Open face, you know, when they talk about open face sandwiches, that always intrigued me. <laughs> Such a good metaphor. Yeah, like there's no top bread on it. It's just like the, the you see what what's in the sandwich. I wonder if we can have an open faced David's view. Let's contemplate that, okay? Yeah, well, if it was open face, maybe we could involve the creative process somehow in it. Like there could be some creative medium Ooh. happening in conversation. Uh, within this framework. And then that leads into a conversation with anybody who wants to hang out. 
Well, and that was the vision for creativity, spirituality, making a buck is that it would have that kind of communal uh, mess hall kind of aspect to it. Uh, so maybe that's something we can explore further. And of course, I have explored this with many very powerful minds in the podcast. You know, we've had all kinds of people come on and I, I'm asking them questions like this um, to see where they landed with it. Um, you know, um, your friend, Robert Ryan. Yeah. He's uh, amazing. Oh my God. Who did your tattoo, right? He's done a lot of my tattoos. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a regular. When, right. And, but you, when he tattoos, we talk about spirituality. I come out of there every time with like a teaching. Mm. It's amazing. So, I mean, it would be amazing to have him involved, but we did Julian Lodge at, um, when we were in person at the Tibet house, we meditated. There was a discussion, there was Q and a, you know, and it was in, maybe we could do that, a hybrid thing like that. Well, yeah. And Tibet house is right there. I did teach there two weeks ago and it's sort of, and it was a hybrid. That's a really good idea. Go back to the original thing that we were talking about two years ago when world us interrupt us happened and everybody went into back into their caves. Um, yeah, that the creative, the original vision, and when we did those workshops live, you know, the creativity, spirituality, and making a buck workshop, we would have people share their artwork and also share their journey with it. But part of the reason is because I, I haven't heard of yet a Buddhist enclave aggregation in which creativity is considered like a really powerful and ongoing topic. Yes, business. The business world has it. Yes, politics and social activism, but creativity, uh, and, and in a, in a Buddhist sort of crossover, like the the um, the crossover between the creative and the bodhisattva visions, and how they might interlace. Because Buddhism has really leaned, obviously, towards the Buddhist version of it, which is if if you would sell, you would give away your guitar <laughs> if somebody needed, just give it to them, you know. So, um, is there a uh, a process of exploration in which creativity is not poo-pooed as a kind of ego-centered activity, but a fundamental source of communion, community, life force energy, expression, power, uh, shifting perspective, all those, all those great things. Well, I know we're probably, we're moving towards wrapping up. So one, this will be our aspiration, right? So we okay, yeah. maybe we should get some music therapists on here. Like I, cause I'm, I'm going into music therapy as a field. So talk wow. about, uh, sort of the merging of music and bodhisattva activity. And I've been studying for a couple of years at Montclair State University. And now these are people who have chosen to use their creativity with livelihood and the success being healing and well-being. And it is the literature in the fields is profound. Music is its own expression of health creativity is its own expression of health and well-being. And there's really beautifully articulated um, theories and practices based around it um, that I find super humbling to be uh, moving towards. So, and that's creativity. It's not as, uh, it's a service in a health service, right? So a lot of times in our system, creativity, we're talking about a service or a commodity when we're talking about livelihood. So, right. Um, it's a different kind of um, being in music and creativity with people. Yeah. It's so interesting thinking again about our friend in Denmark who's 
it's part of the well-being of the community and the, the government is said, of course, music's important. Are you kidding me? Of course, it's as important as, you know, all these other things. It's a different culture. And um, it's called Europe. Everybody should visit every once in a while. Um, it's easy to, you know, pluck out some really positive elements of European culture because it's refined over so long a period of time. Not saying they're immune, but uh, let, let's keep this combo going. Um, I, I also, let's add a, a sort of a, how do people write in if they want to comment? Anybody who wants to comment, send me an email at K at dharmamoon.com. I'll reiterate this in the show notes at the end. And you can also find me on social media, on Instagram at mk4president. That's a good <laughs> communication point for me. M-K-F-O-R-P-R-E, president. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You got my vote, Mike. And um, thanks, everybody. We'll be, we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. All the best. Bye-bye. There you have it, friends. Another episode of David's View on the Creativity, Spirituality, in Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. We would like to thank you all for listening. We sincerely hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. And as we mentioned at the end there, if anybody would like to write in, you can reach me at K at dharmamoon.com or find me at mk4president on Instagram. That's mk4president. And if you would like to hear more podcasts, please head over to beherenownetwork.com slash David. We would like to thank everyone at Be Here Now for their support in this podcast and for all the great work they do continuing Ram Dass's legacy. We are grateful to be a part of the network. And if you'd like to connect with David and our community, head over to www.dharmamoon.com. We always have a lot going on on the schedule. We have a teacher training coming up, as I mentioned earlier, and we would love for you to join us. All right. I think that's all the announcements for today. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. And remember, the idea has no destiny. All the best. <laughs>